Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Talking about the BRICS summit, the economic benefit uh, that was uh, that that follows. Kenny Chu, head of Asia Practice at uh, ENS, was telling us that they had an incredible amount of of inquiries, which is very positive, and it certainly reframes it for me because I'm quite cynical when it comes to this sort of thing. But but uh, it, it's 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 maybe important to look at the positives as well. I do find it difficult, that said, when I look at the human rights uh, record of some of the new uh, members, and in fact of the top ten, if you just uh, Google the top ten human rights abusers in the world, five of them are members of BRICS. Now that's a bit scary, but uh, we wanted to uh, get a perspective on that as well. Lawrence Karumba is a researcher at uh, at Amistra Think Tank. A very, very good morning. How are you? Um, hi, good morning. Good, thanks. So uh, the the new members uh, to BRICS, uh, the is there any is there any sense or cohesion from your perspective as to why you think they have become part of this organisation? Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question because when I mean the the goal of BRICS is that it's meant to be this kind of association of the sort of big, important countries of the global south mm. with, uh, you know, like big populations, lots of potential for economic growth, you know, countries that can play a leadership role. Uh, and when we, and when we think of it in those terms, then some of the, some of the choices seem a bit strange. I mean, I would specifically look at, you know, why is it that, for example, countries like Nigeria or Indonesia were not admitted. I mean, both of these countries applied. They both have huge populations, lots of growth. You know, Nigeria has a larger, has the largest pop, sorry, Nigeria is the largest population mm-hmm. and the largest economy in Africa. And then when we see that, you know, countries that were admitted, we have states like Ethiopia, which is very unstable. It's, it's, it's kind of, in this uneasy truce after a civil war. So some of these choices do seem a bit strange, and I think that to some degree it probably reflects kind of internal political maneuvering amongst the existing BRICS. You know, I think that there was probably decisions going on behind the scenes where, you know, probably none of the, you know, all the countries... They didn't want to sort of stack it too heavily with mm. allies of, of one of the particular countries. And there was probably a lot of negotiation, you know, like you allow a country that's friendly with me and I'll give you one. I that's see everyone gets a plus yours. one. Right. Basically. Yeah, I think, I think that it was probably a, a process a lot like that. I would get. But, but you, you mentioned something about the South, you know, China, I mean, half of these countries are, are, are Northern Hemisphere countries. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, we, we, I mean, the, look, I mean, the global south is more of a, a concept, you know, not, a, not a point on a compass. I mean, when we talk about like the west, we include countries like Australia and New Zealand a lot of the time, um, right. which aren't geographically part of the west, but it, it has always been a bit of a mystery, you know, why, for example, Russia, which is, you know, definitely part of the global north is, is is in bricks is it's it's not completely consistent right right so uh, so we have this we have this 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 group 
of quite disparate, uh, in a way, uh, countries. And as you said, it, it's probably a lot of political maneuvering that gets them into this, it gets them a seat at the table. What now? It does it, does it actually bring Benefit. We spoke to ENS a little bit earlier, and they were telling us from a South African perspective, they've certainly seen a lot of inquiries about business, doing business in South Africa. So, so there is, it does bring that, but, uh, but does that materialize? Does it benefit the countries? So, in, in concrete terms, right, BRICS, more or less, for the most part, con- consists of Three main things, right? So we have these annual meetings that take place where, or these annual summits that take place where, where heads of state get together and, um, you know, to, just discuss is, issues and cooperate. Um, there is a, uh, there's a monetary fund called the CRA, which is designed to help stabilize countries that are in financial trouble so they don't need to go to the IMF. Um, and there's a development bank that is designed to fund uh, development projects like infrastructure and, and that sort of thing, designed as an alternative to the World Bank. So all these things are important, but, I mean, the, the, the level of significance that they have until now has been fairly moderate compared to, you know, the established institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. Suppose what we might have is a situation where, you know, with the, with the addition of the the new members, some mm, of them in mm. particular are are quite wealthy. You know, especially if we look at the Gulf states that have been added, like the Saudi and UAE, they have a lot of wealth due to their oil revenues. So they might help to add additional capital to those organizations, more funding, more development projects, and so on. Um, that said, you know, BRICS is not a trade network. It's not like the, it's not like the EU or, uh, the, the World Trade Organization or something. It doesn't make it necessarily easier to import and export to other countries within the BRICS. It creates a negotiating framework that we could use to build something like that later on, perhaps. But a lot of the potential is there, but it, it, it kind of still needs to be realized, mm. if, if that makes sense. And, uh, and 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 I guess that's the question with any of these organisations, uh, even in terms of this this conversation around currency, uh, how realistic is that? Well, I mean, I think that you know the whole talk about a BRICS currency, as far as I could tell, was was really a conversation that was coming from outside of the BRICS, um, not internally. I think it's it's. It's not realistic at all, right? right? Like the idea that the BRICS are going to create something equivalent to the to the euro, for instance, is uh, it's 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 almost impossible at this point because none of these countries are willing to give up control over their monetary policy and their ability to set interest rates. Mm. Um, mm. Nor nor should they, right? Absolutely. Um, which which however, makes, of course, renders it useless then. Right. Um, however, what we are seeing is talk from the BRICS about possibly using their own local currencies more to settle payments in international trade. 
you know, so that if we buy from, uh, you know, China, for example, we might do more of our payments in rands right. rather than settling payments in U.S. dollars. But even that is is a, is a little bit tricky. It is indeed. Lawrence, um, I do need to, I'm sorry, they are gesturing at me because it is 9 o'clock, so I do need to go to the news. Lawrence Caramba, who is a researcher at uh, Mr. Think Tank, talking to us about the BRICS summit, the currency, and how realistic that is. Is.